0: In Rhetoric Book 2, one of the emotions that Aristotle analyzes is that which we translate as calmness or mildness, prautes, and this is a lack or quieting, the opposite of anger. And in the course of his discussion of calmness, there's a short paragraph which lists off a number of of different circumstances in which people tend to be calmer or milder this isn't like aristotle making universal claims that anybody who's in these conditions will never feel any anger whatsoever but these are some generalizations and so he begins this by telling us that people are mild or exhibit mild this feel less angry or not angry at all, who are in circumstances that are posed to getting angry and we should talk a little bit about the terminology being used here it's a little bit difficult to translate so echontes holding themselves in a situation or finding themselves within a condition or situation and then enantios enantia is opposites calmness and anger are actually opposites Aristotle says we can figure out what makes people calm by looking at what makes people angry (laughs) and then extrapolating from that to their opposites. Here it's being used as an adverb. So, people who are in situations that are opposed to or that create opposition to what to getting angry to orgedzisthai this is a verb coming from the actual noun describing the emotion orge and orgedzisthai means to get oneself angry to get riled up right so we can look at a number of different common situations and say in these situations, there could be some people who have anger problems and they're going to be angry no matter what, but people tend on the whole to not get angry in these situations. And what are they? You notice that there's a whole bunch of N this. N means in, or in some cases, at. And so there's a number of Greek terms, some of which are very easy to translate, some of which are a little bit tricky, like the very first one, N Pice is a, a child, right? And paideia can describe the kind of things that children do. So, childlikeness, childishness, but it's often translated as play, which children engage in, but so do adults. For example, when we're playing board games or video games, or a nice translation of this, at sport. When we're engaging in physical activity, perhaps, you know, playing a pickup game of basketball or soccer or baseball or pick whatever else you, you want, even just throwing a ball back and forth could be Paidea. Games like Tag or Hide and Seek or Ghost in the Graveyard, a popular one here in the Midwest in my childhood. These are all examples of Idea. So people can get quite serious about sports, especially if they're putting money or prestige on the line, or even just about games. Think about how angry gamers can get. But if you're treating it as an actual game, not as serious activity where you got to jockey with other people, you are in a state where you're less likely to become angry in any serious way. You might get angry because you roll the dice and you get a seven instead of a 10 that you needed. But in general, those who are at play are going to be calm. The next one that he says, en geloti, in laughter. And this is, Quite interesting, right? Because he's using a term that we could translate some other terms a little bit earlier in the section on anger as referring to laughter, right? But what's really going on here is a kind of innocent laughter that's not provoking Rancor or problems. A little bit earlier in the section on anger, he says, as to the objects of anger, people are angry with those who ridicule, mock, and scoff at them. And the word for ridicule is katagalosi. The galosi there, it refers to laughter, but it's a different kind of laughter. It's like laughter at somebody else's expense. So if we can laugh at ourselves and we can laugh at the circumstances that we're in, we're less likely to be angry. We're more likely to be calm. But if the laughter is directed against somebody, look at that silly idiot over there. (laughs) Well, that person's liable to get angry because they're being laughed at, not laughed with. The third one, enherte. This could be translated as it is, in fact, by some at a feast. But I think that we have to be a little bit careful in how we think about this. We typically associate feasts with eating, right? And that is indeed part of a feast. But the word that this is coming from means something like at a festival or a holiday, something that is publicly acknowledged as a time for celebration. And eating and drinking will be part of that, but it is not necessarily the sole purpose of it. Of course, if you're going to something like a strawberry festival or a garlic festival eating and eating that particular food is central, but this means any sort of occasion. So it could be something like a birthday. It could be something like a wedding. It could even be something, I suppose, like a funeral, right? That's a ceremonial occasion. The next one, and eu, emeria, in prosperity, that's a good way of translating, in a good condition of life. The eu means well or good, and emeria is sort of following that up. So when we are doing well, that's a condition in which we're less likely to get angry, perhaps because we don't feel the need to worry or scrimp and save or be in competition with other people. And then the next two are kind of like this as well. We could see them as all representing the same matter but from different aspects. And kat orthose, now that's coming from a word orthos, which means straight. And this really means to like take the straight path or to straighten things out. It gets translated as success or accomplishment. So we feel better when we're being successful, when things are going the way that we want them to, you know, for example, we're not being frustrated by our technology turning against us, you know, when you are trying to get a task done and suddenly Microsoft or zoom or pick whatever software you want chrome wants to update <laughs> you know, you can get kind of ticked off right because it's interfering with you being successful but if you are successful then you tend to be a bit more sanguine a little bit more happy-go-lucky about things likewise in the next one and plerose this means in abundance having a lot of stuff so when you've got plenty of money in the bank when you've got lots of food stored up i know for my myself when I have ironed all of my dress shirts which is a task I don't like doing but has to be done because nobody else is going to iron them for me and I do a good job at it since I've been doing it since uh, you know I was a kid when I do that and I can look at them all lined up I'm like oh I'm rich now I'm not really rich but it feels kind of like that when you put away your clothes folded up or however you do them in abundance right when we don't feel again like we have to compete with other people or we're operating in scarcity, we feel pretty good. And then we're not gonna get angry as easily. The next three that he, he sums things up with are kind of interesting. So en elupia, a lupe is pain, a lupia is a freedom from pain. So you wake up, are you achy? Are you not, right? Did you get a good night's sleep? Are you still kind of sleep deprived? Do you have a sinus infection that's bothering you? Your nose is burning, you're coughing a bit, or are you feeling pretty good? So in freedom from pain, we tend not to get angry. We tend to be calmer. And this is a very interesting one. And the And that actually follows in the passage right on the alupia. You know, there's an and or chi in Greek. So, pleasure, so he's talking about lack of pain, and now there's pleasure, and the pleasure is not hubristike, not involving insult, not involving putting somebody else down, innocent pleasure, we could say. And all of these could be examples of innocent pleasure like that. And then the last one, an elpide epik. Now, epide is coming from Elpis, hope, and that's an emotion that's a positive one, right? epiK it gets translated sometimes as virtuous, so in virtuous hope. It's probably better to translate it as befitting or appropriate hope, you know, hoping for the sorts of things that it makes sense for you to hope for. You're not going too far with it. You're not hoping for things that are detrimental to yourself or to other people, like, oh man, I hope I get totally drunk at the party puke all over myself damage somebody else's property no 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 it's not that that kind of hope, right instead it's the kinds of hopes or expectations about the future that are befitting that are good and so all of these conditions Aristotle says are examples of ways in which people can keep from getting angry if we put people in these situations rather than in situations that are their opposites, for example, and plerose in abundance, let's take stuff away from people. We're going to tend to make them more angry as opposed to calm or mild. So all of these are very important factors. Some of them can turn if the play becomes too serious, if the laughter is directed at somebody else and making fun of them, if we're at a festival or holiday and it turns out to be a massive hassle, if our appropriate hopes are disappointed, we could get angry. But in general, these are going to keep a person the opposite of angry, calm or mild. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.